Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. Welcome to Season 7, where we will continue to delve into the world of coaching, learning and development. My guests are going to present their key learnings for a piece of content of their choosing, and we then discuss its application. I'll now hand over to them to introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Sally uh, Needham. Um, my job title at the minute is um, Academy Human Development and Performance Culture Leader at Sheffield United. Um, I've been here as the consultant for about 18 months, but then took the um, dreaded plunge, if you want to put it that way, uh, and I've been now full-time for the last couple of, couple of months, and I um, combine it with um, my own consultancy business and some work back at the FA, so I deliver on the B licence and the Bank Youth Award for the uh, Football Association. Um, and my remit here is, um, as I said, human development, performance, culture, um, and I oversee majority of, well, if not all, players from pre-acad to 23s and transitioning to play at first team and then staffing. Um, and it's underpinned by neuroscience. But my remit is then like the outfight of our mantra about run out, play out fight. So, yeah, so a big, a big, of a big uh, job role, really. But yeah, I love it. Amazing. Um, so my name is Jane Booth um, and I fundamentally believe that great people make amazing things happen. Um, that kind of guides everything I do um, as in my role as a chaser of dreams. Um, so I've worked for myself for the last six years or so um, after a career, a varied career in sport and sport coaching, working for various organisations. Um, and I suppose I feel now I am chasing my passions and sort of working yeah, really putting my values and purpose in place and working to mainly support individuals and organisations to uncover their great uh, and support them to, to kind of, you know, discover what they might, you know, what might be possible and to take steps towards putting those things in place, be it as an individual through mentoring or perhaps an organisation through some cultural development work or, yeah, other things like leadership development, which is one of my passions and my interests, having a couple of years ago finished a PhD looking into um, authentic leadership so that is me and I'm really excited to be here. Fantastic I am wonderfully excited to have both of you on um, even from our just little off off recording chat it's amazing how uh, how connected this this will very likely be with um, we'll say it's planned but you know the secret is it definitely wasn't so um, no yeah I really thank you both for, for coming on on the hottest day of the year and sitting inside and chatting to me for an hour so I do appreciate it um we'll get straight into it so Jane we're going to come back to you what is it and it's not just one I appreciate so what what is it that was about <laughs> so yeah I I found it so difficult when the kind of challenge was pick a piece of content that has interested you or intrigued you um so I've bought three books because I just couldn't and it could have been you know that was a challenge to narrow it down to three um because I just have so many different things and pieces of interest um so i guess i'll start and th there's definitely some connections sally i think with with what you're um, bringing along um, but my first book that i brought is called neuroscience for leadership harnessing the brain gain advantage um and it's by tara stewart kitty chisholm and paul brown um and yeah it's it's something that, that i suppose it's a you know it's a reasonably sized book but there's one bit in particular that's really stuck with me 
um, because it's around kind of neuroscience for leadership and how we can, you know, how we need to start a process that we need to put in place in order to create change. And they've kind of got this four step approach. Um, and the four steps that they talk about are step one is raising awareness. So in order to change something, we have to become aware of it. But becoming aware of it isn't enough. So step two, once we've become aware of it, is about focusing attention. So it's kind of then almost narrowing. So in my head, I've got this idea of like a laser focus, kind of narrowing attention and really kind of focusing on, okay, what really is it I want to change and why and making, you know, understanding those. Um, and then the third step, which I suppose maybe it jumped out for me from a sport perspective, um, but they call it deliberate practice. So that's definitely kind of a language that, that comes up in sport uh, a lot. And again, it, it links, you know, it's about kind of making that conscious decision to change and consciously you know, whether it's a behaviour, you know, for example, giving up something or whether it's, a, you know, adopting a more positive behaviour. It's that, you know, that, that idea of we need to keep doing something deliberate about it. Um, and the fourth step that they talk about is therapeutic support. And they kind of talk about that in the, in the broadest sense. So it's not as in I've got a counsellor and I go to therapy, but the idea that all of us, you know, it's very difficult to change something alone. So who's in our corner effectively? And maybe another sporting analogy, you know, who's in our backroom team that's really, you know, helping us and maybe holding us to account sometimes, um, but also championing and championing, championing, that's the word, yeah, championing um, our change and, and helping us celebrate, you know, when we see those successes, but also um, perhaps as humans, sometimes not allowing ourselves to beat ourselves up if we, you know, fail or get something wrong or don't, doesn't quite work according to plan. Um, and I can't, yeah, I end up, I feel like I end up using that a lot through mentoring conversations, um, through working with organisations and, and, you know, personally as well, kind of just that reminder that it's not enough just to go, oh, yeah, I noticed that. So what? It's then about the conscious choices we make around change. Um, so that was my first book. <laughs> Do you want me to jump straight in and, and just kind of give you an insight into the other two? Does yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah keep going. I'll keep going. Yeah, 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 keep going, and then we'll then we'll kind of delve into all three. Excellent. So the the second book, um, and this was really this has been really influential, and it was it was really influential from my PhD and my research, um, and the book's called Switch: How to Change When Change How to Change Things When Change is Hard, and it's by um, a couple of brothers called Chip and Dan Heath. Um, and again, it's you know it's a reasonably sized book. And the one thing that I took from it is this idea of they call bright spots change management. And I think often the reason it appealed to me was a, a driver behind my PhD was I, I kind of sat in a governing board, well, in a sports agency, not technically a governing body, but that sort of world. And I was constantly reading articles or hearing, you know, governing bodies have just got this coach education wrong. They're doing it all wrong. And I was getting really fed up because I could see some amazing people doing brilliant things whether it be at small level or, you know, local level or, you know, national level. And I was kind of like, I suppose, fighting against that to say, hang on a sec, it might not all be perfect, but there's some brilliant things. And this book build, introduces and builds on this idea of bright spots change management, where they say, actually, if you want to change something, have a look, because inevitably you will find somewhere where something is working really well. And then take the time to understand, you know, the ingredients and what's happening and why you know, why is that instance working? And it's then not to say that you can take that and mirror that everywhere else and everything will be perfect. But it's about taking that time to understand rather than kind of assume, you know, the problem and go in and impose solutions. Um, and I mean, they use examples from things like, you know, 
um, malnutrition in a in a you know in a, in, in a certain country and talk about going in and kind of saying well within this you know massive area of uh, malnutrition and, and challenge actually there are a few places where young people and children in particular were thriving so they took the time to kind of go in and work out and talk to the communities about what they were doing and they found out that you know they were eating sort of the same things but supplementing children's diet with what in other places was considered only to be an adult food um, and you know just little things like that then they engage those communities in sharing that message and spreading that message out to other communities again as opposed to somebody external coming in and saying you've got it all wrong here you need to, to jump in um, so I kind of just love that and it, and it you know maybe I take that forward into things you know about let's look for the successes let's let's celebrate things and you know perhaps that's you know I would like to think that that's kind of um, that manifests itself in a lot of my attitude and, and you know beliefs when I'm going out and working with people because I think as humans, we do tend to be quite down on ourselves um, and almost the good stuff gets bypassed because it's just what well, we should be doing it like that. Um, so I just love this idea of, you know, looking for the bright spots and mm. learning from them and kind of saying, well, what can we learn? And I suppose jumping to my third book, and I do, I kind of feel like these link. Um, but there's this little book, I, I bought it from the British Library when I was killing time in London, and it's called The Art of Creative Thinking. And it's a like the chapters are literally two or three pages long um, and they've got great headings these chapters like challenge the challenging um, be stubborn about compromise um, be committed to commitment and different things like that but the one that's really you know really stuck in my head um, talks about aspiring to have no goals and the idea really is in this chapter or what they're challenging is is saying well if we set goals how do we know that those goals aren't self-limiting? How do we know that what we're capable of isn't way beyond the goals that we set? And if we achieve those goals, quite often we go, excellent, that's done, tick. But if we didn't have goals and replaced goals with kind of exploration and curiosity and ambition, and maybe we could achieve a lot more. Um, and I think the essence, I've spent quite a lot of time since lockdown, I've, I've come across some amazing people who work in kind of education and the creative industry and creative sectors and I love I love these the you know this idea of creative thinking and bringing creativity as a skill as a way of being into other worlds or other sectors um, and there's a quote I love that says um, we tend to fall in love with the solution before we, before we really understand the problem uh, it's by a guy called Thomas Weddles Weddlesburg um, <laughs> and uh, but I just I think sometimes, particularly in sport as well, we get so ingrained in our ways of being and ways of doing and the things that we've always done that we maybe forget creative thinking or creativity is a skill in itself. That if we don't use it or we don't practice it or we don't learn it, then we don't have it because it's really easy to say think differently. But it's really, really difficult to do that because of the way our brain works, etc. Um, so, yeah, just this little this little tiny book by yeah, The Art of Creative Thinking by Rod Judkins has definitely given me a kind of uh, you know, little little snapshot insight into okay, just maybe need to question question things and explore and yeah, just be be a bit braver and bolder about exploring things. So there you go. There's my my treasure chest of books. I love it. Thank you so much. I like, I don't even know where to start. There's so much to unpick in there, but I I guess I landed on. 
you, you kind of touched on it like why do we seek change and improvement constantly so is from from both your experiences do you think that's just naturally our human default position that and I feel like it's in the world of sport but maybe it is everything but we we just sit there and we'll kind of we'll have an experience and then we'll go back through it and go uh, well, that probably could have been a little bit better. And oh, if we did it again, we'd like to see this and we'd make it bigger. And we'd have, but we, I'd, and I'd love to know what your thoughts are on why that seems to be our default. And, and I, I know places where that's not, but I think they've worked really hard to create processes and systems where they do focus on the success first. But there is always that nature within sport of we can be better. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. But as you mentioned, like there's probably some challenges that come with that. So, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on why, why are we like that? Wow. What a question to start with. <laughs> I mean, just, I suppose just maybe take it beyond sport for a moment. And I look at, and if I give an example of, you know, if we went, if we think back to, a number of us were fortunate and over lockdown had we gained time and space because we weren't traveling you know and and i totally appreciate there are a number of professions teachers you know frontline workers nhs who did not get the luxury of that space um and yet we you know the space we got given we found things we you know we had you know things slowed down almost and we had more time and from a personal perspective you know i did appreciate smaller things and you know it's a bit cliche living in the moment and the present but you know small things like going out for a walk and notice that you know I had the time to notice I had the time to notice small things and I didn't have to I wasn't under any pressure to rush to be somewhere else um what I'm noticing now going back as we go back whatever you term you want to, to call it into you know non-covid times is kind of that space has disappeared and the pressure and the rush is back on us so it's you know, and I'm not sure if this is directly answering your question or not, um, but there's almost that there's this inherent sense of pressure in our daily lives and our daily work to do more, to be more, to earn more, to succeed more, to win more. Um, and that that kind of um, energy takes away from the abil our ability or willingness or yeah, sense of it's OK to just sit and be content with the now and what I've you know what's in front of me um and I again Sally you're probably utter from a, from your experiences and your role you know that competitive environment I think just heightens that sense of you know we need to be more do more rather than kind of go actually I am enough this is enough yeah I, th I think I think that comes back it's going back to my book in a bit that we had a we had in terms of a development season, uh, quite a, a really good season last year for what we should run on um, as a cat tool. Um, and we unpicked it for uh, what worked really well, what is the areas that we can improve on. Um, so I think, especially for us, we've started to have more, try to have more review weeks, try to have more space for the staff to have some downtime to then because you do, you, you, you definitely, um, and I've said this before to our kind of manager, um, my role to be present with the boys and to be in connection with the boys, I need to be, have that time. So to be able to go for a run, to be able to, I mean, I'm a cognitive regulator, so I'll make my list be in front with what I need to do for the next three weeks. Like I can't just come in and just deliver every day and just be around, otherwise... 
I know I'm not fulfilling what I need to fulfill or meeting working at six percent rather than nine percent so I think for us in in we we have a, a a staff that wants to drive and get better I think we appreciate what we've achieved but also we've appreciated that we can develop the program and that's kind of we've all had to present back of what's been an area or what support or what you want to delve down into more next year. So, so yeah, I think, I think we are a, a human race of looking at probably what we can do better. Um, and we definitely try to celebrate the wins, but also unpick the way that we can move forward because I think you said it, Jane, and it's massive. I used to say it to, our older care manager and now our care manager. When you go to Oxford or Cambridge, you get educated about different Cambridge people. So you're just repeating a system in a system. And that's what kind of when I've come in here, um, I've come from a coach, coaching background and a coach development background. But I've gone, well, why do we do that? And why do we do that? And nobody can tell you, it's just however we've always done it. So we've tried to then change on kind of where we've gone with it. So in one way, I, I love it here that we do unpick things. And what can we change and develop and what are we stuck in? But also we do appreciate the 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 um successes that we've we've had in in what we probably overachieved. I think Sally, as you just talked, it's just prompted me to think, you know, think, you know, where does that pressure come from? I I, I do feel that there's there's a sort of societal or even a family kind of pressure sometimes, you know, that success is measured in you know, how much money you earn, how many titles you've won, how many games, you know, you look at football managers, you know, lose, lose enough games in a row and you're not valued anymore, that kind of thing. And so I think there's there's something and, and I suppose a, a personal reflection would be that I think as I've got older and maybe talked to more people and explored a few more things, maybe it's about my definition of what I value has become more important. And I have felt and I've almost taken that as it so... Yeah, there's something internally driving that as opposed to maybe earlier in my career where it was the ability, you know, it was, I could phone my mum and say, yeah, mum, I've got promotion. And she'd be like, oh, brilliant. She'd be like, oh, tell your grandpa, he'll be, he'll love to know how much money you're earning. <laughs> so that kind of gets ingrained in our sense of being. Um, and, you know, if we don't, you know, it's only probably because I've, you know, had a bit of luxury of time, but also have really become clear about what matters to me, what's important and how I value my success. Um, it's still really hard, though, I think, as humans to to kind of go, yeah, that's good enough, because yeah. there's, there's something that drives us, and that danger is that, you know, we feel the pressure on. You know, I've said it to somebody, I'm doing a session in a few weeks, and I'm like, oh, I'm really worried I'm not going to be as good as. And I'm like, yeah, but you'll be as good as you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, so I will. <laughs> that's all I can measure myself by. So, yeah, I think it's that, maybe it comes back to the consciousness of, of if you're aware of it, then we can at least make conscious challenges or choices as opposed to just going with the flow and feeling the pressure to succeed and perform and yeah, keep churning out the money and the wins. <laughs> Definitely. I find that fascinating, I guess, when you apply that to in a sporting sense, that piece around what is your best today with your, your mood, your energy, or just, just everything that constitutes you in that moment, playing individual sport, team sport, because how many times, I mean, I'm just thinking that the amount of conversations I've had with a player would have gone, you know, ours rubbish today. Okay, well, 
but why are you comparing to your best ever performance? Because you on that day three weeks ago or three years ago or whatever was completely different to you today. So we, we just seem to get caught in this, as you say, that constant kind of comparison trap. Actually, if that's the, if you feel like that's the best you could have offered today, for whatever reason, being self-aware of all of, of as many of the factors as we can be aware of, of why, why is that not just enough? And, and I, do you know what I mean? Coaches get caught in that trap then as well, that it's going, oh, well, you know, form, fans talk about form all the time. And I'm like, well, it's a microcosm of one, one game or one performance in one moment. And yet we want to draw comparisons between week to week or month to month or four years to four years. And it's just this, bizarre concept that that almost has no meaning but yet somehow we become obsessed with it when it comes to selection for whatever and I just I yeah I find the whole concept really quite alien it makes complete sense in how sport is set up currently but it makes zero sense when you probably sit down and go through it logically and almost holistically do you know it's a, I listened to some of the or watched some of the um world championship athletics yesterday and it was the marathon um and i, th I think the name was chris the guy's name was chris thompson apologies i may be totally wrong but he he was due to be competing as part of the british team but had visa issues and you know total credit i was sat in awe of him he became part of the commentary team so you can imagine on one side this you know he was absolutely gutted but the insight that he was able to bring through his commentary and he talked he said something some really interesting things which link on from what you just said fell around you know marathon runners have this notion or this real understanding that their training may have gone brilliantly but they might show up on the day of the marathon and it's just not there for them because maybe they didn't sleep that well or that you know something and so that you know i just it, yeah it was just so interesting listening to him talk about you know knowing that you know that maybe the best, you know, understanding, standing on the line, understanding in that moment the best, what the best I can do today is, and almost that evaluation. And he was talking about, you know, some races, you know, I can't imagine running the speed they do for 26 miles, but, you know, this idea of kind of getting 5k in or 10k in and kind of going, it's not my day today. What is my, and being almost able to evaluate on the run, what's, you know, what is possible today. And yeah, I just found it fascinating to, firstly listen to this guy who clearly had, had dreams of going to these championships and but then just be able to talk so eloquently about you know some of those almost in moment decision make in race decisions as to what does success look like right now today um which yeah was a real kind of completely different way of looking at sport than i think i've ever heard anybody talk about before i'm gonna have to google his name because i feel really bad if i've got it wrong now <laughs> You are listening to a Rugby Coach Weekly podcast. If you want to find out more about this podcast and all the other great benefits you can get from being a member of Rugby Coach Weekly, why not visit rugbycoachweekly.net to find out more. That's rugbycoachweekly.net to find out more about how to become a member and receive a load of free stuff. Now, back to the podcast. I think for us, I think... I think um we're quite strong on, um, we don't go after a, a psychological framework. So we go very much on behavioral. 
Um, and the biggest thing for us is the boys understanding themselves. So we took them um, up to the Lake District to do some work up there for a couple of days. And we asked them about understanding what's their value. And then how does that then link into their behaviour every day um, for self-worth, for understanding what their outcomes are. Um, so what is, their, what is their value that they underpin themselves? And how does that work every day? And then we also give them um, quite a lot of tools to, to understand what's happening in the body and the brain, understand about language and how they use language, understand about self-talk and what happens in your brain with negative self-talk to what then produces with its chemicals in your body and how that affects then your thinking. Um, and they do a lot of journaling work, they do a lot of breathing work, they do a lot of yoga, they do a lot of understanding themselves to actually to try and work with it, to understand it. We can't get rid of it. Just had the conversation here with other players. And I'm like, you need to understand it to know why you feel this way, because it's what's happening in your brain and your body from where you've just moved from. Um, and understanding it is then that, that sense of acceptance. And then we then start again. And, and I'll say to the boys all the time, the emotional reaction to maybe missing a penalty or missing a goal is okay because it means that you care. It's the next bit after it that then is the process of then how long they stay in that state. Um, so a big thing for us is about understanding them as, as who they are, what's their value, what drives them, and then understanding that what goes off is normal, catching them thoughts, working with them thoughts, sensing in. Um, and then if them thoughts have gone against them that day, then... We need to work it out. Why did it? What's the strategies to then try and change that? So I think the big thing for us is we we try to get the boys to really understand themselves because coaches will come and go. I'll not always be here. But the more that they can understand themselves and understand that this is normal, emotions and feelings are normal. This is how I then get myself ready for game day. It might be loud music. It might not be. This is how I switch off. This is what I need to do for help me to sleep. Then... We're giving them the tools to then hopefully be able to have a purpose more that it's just not I've won three trophies or I've won this. It's how they've got to that process and understand themselves a little bit with it. I love that, Sally. I really do. And I think that's so important, that idea of... And also, you know, what you're doing at the same time is creating or supporting, you know, young people, whoever it might be, who have a di have an identity beyond what they're currently doing so I think you know that there's something so important important to know who I am and that my value isn't attached to how I perform in a certain context and you know yeah. if you if I look at particularly some of the work around transitions and you know sports people who um, have to offer us to retire through injury particularly I think one of the you know things that often is is you know I went from being a you know an international rower or an international athlete on day one to the next day just becoming somebody and I had no idea who I was so I think that idea of understanding who you are and also you know knowing how to respond and react to situations and it brings to mind you know that, that idea of becoming aware and, and conscious yeah and and um so something like compa compassion and acceptance therapy is like an approach in therapy where it's about being effectively being kind and accepting but kind of almost giving yourself a break and <laughs> not beating yourself up for you know, not doing something as society would perceive perfect and kind of going, okay, that's all right. I'm okay with that. 
and I know that my value as a human doesn't diminish just because I missed that penalty or I, you know, missed that drop kick or drop the ball over the try line kind of thing. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> there's um a poem that there's this is sort of sport linked. I was um working with a jockey coach. It was a level four jockey coach and um, I'll give him a name check, Phil, in case he's listening. That was his name. Um, but, I, you know, we were having, we had, one of the, the roles was to have a conversation and support development of a coaching philosophy. I remember being sat in his kitchen, his dog was there, and he's just like, I don't know what my philosophy is. But I know there's this poem that's quite important to me, and he just stood up and recited this poem. And I was like, wow, there you go. There's, <laughs> that's your philosophy. And the poem was um, The Guy in the Glass by Dale Wimbrough. And it was, I can't remember the exact, like all the words, but effectively it was about how actually all I need to do is get to the end of the day and look myself in the mirror going, yeah, I did okay today. It's about not defeating the guy in the glass. Um, and I've carried, yeah, that was a good few years ago now and I've used it and shared it so many times because it was just that kind of moment of, wow, yeah, that's quite powerful. I think there's some wonderful bits in there. I I, I wrote down the accept don't fight against sally the, the bit in the moment as you say when they've made a mistake whatever it might be that acceptance is going to just kind of dictate how quickly you can get back to i don't know regulation or your normal or whatever it is rather than fighting it get that constant nagging in your own head where you're going oh well why i should have done this or you know you can just live with that moment for so much longer that just puts you on that trajectory to be even worse rather than just try and go it happened bin it move on you know i i think that's that yeah if people can find i guess strategies that are out there and i i would presume there are quite a few that to help themselves through that and i think that works in anything in, in business in home life in in sport in whatever just not to not to have that kind of yeah negative self-talk just take you off on a path that is that is almost a real distraction um and as you as you both said i think identity becomes a real key key element within that and without getting too nauseous, i've just finished my master's dissertation on the transition of pro players to pro coaches and and a lot of that was around the identity change they they undertake and i think you're both right i, I genuinely feel like this is something we don't ever explore even even at a young age do you know what I mean and like I, I actually asked my niece the other day I was telling my brother about some of the stuff I was working on and she kind of jumped on the call and she's 12 just turned 13 and and I was talking about an activity I do identity exercise and I was like okay well you know Chloe if if what, what constitutes you and she's like well what do you mean and I'm like well what what inherently makes you who you are she was just like I, she's a bright cookie like she's a seriously switched on kid she's like oh, oh I don't know I'm gonna have to think about that and just wandered off and I was like that may be the very first time everyone has ever actually asked who you are and why are you who you are and I feel like if we don't ask these questions regularly of everybody and of ourselves especially we can just as you said we get caught up in this I am this and when that changes or stops and I think the challenge is when it's not our choice when our identity changes I can think of a lot of people that have changed jobs or been forced to change jobs and their identity was that job and it's it's absolutely destroyed them and, and I feel like we're just it's almost a cliff edge 
for so many people and it and it really shouldn't be but there just doesn't seem to be the work happening as often as i would i guess my, in my opinion i would like for enough people to prevent that but I don't, i'd be interested in what your thoughts are around kind of that in your environment yeah i mean again talking from a personal perspective but i still don't know i i still don't think i know fully who i am um and yeah I'm not going to I'm not going to share my age because I feel too old. <laughs> I went to a con I was at a conference at the end of last week and I was like, oh my god, I have actually been in like this coaching world for so many years. <laughs> I feel like yeah, um, but yeah, I don't I don't think I necessarily feel yet like I know fully who I am. I'm getting towards that point. Um, and if I look back over my career and you know I think about um, some of the conversations I have with educators and teachers, um, and I won. You know, I don't know if our necessarily our educational curriculums value any of that at the moment. And, you know, are there conversations happening around supporting young people work out who they are in primary school, secondary school? Don't think so. Um, so, again, kind of looking at society, you kind of go, well, if it's not happening in some of those areas, then actually, why are we not? You know, it's kind of almost inevitable it's not happening. And it's however. I do think there are, again, going back to bright spots, I think there are some great examples. And Sally, you've talked about what you're doing. And I think there are pockets of some of, you know, some of the, some coach education, some development, and, you know, clearly some of the other that, you know, is happening. And I think the more of that that can happen, um, and that, you know, maybe I can bring some through the work I do, I can bring some of my thoughts back into the, maybe it's that ripple effect. If we throw enough pebbles into the pond, the ripples will keep going um, but you know clearly Sally it's happening where you are um, in the work that you're involved in and leading which is which is brilliant yeah I think I think the boys have struggled to there were a couple that could tell you their value quite quick there were some that struggled it took them a couple of days it's a piece of work that we're linking into the education team with um, it's an area of work that we need to put in throughout the academy. So we do a lot of little activities with the boys and tell me five things about you as a person and five things about you as a player and little activities that we've done with the, with the kids. I think the big thing for me is, is, is language that we wrap around it. So my niece is, is rang with me last night. Uh, she won the trophy for most points in the dancing competition. She wins most dancers or she's a second. Um, and to be fair, my sister and my mum and anybody around us now, she'll, they'll say the same thing. In a, she rang me last night and I said, I bet you're so proud of yourself, aren't you, Eliza? She says, I'm so proud of myself, I'm Sally. Because language gets wrapped around them sometimes. So, like, I'm proud of you. And actually, we want them to be proud of themselves before then we get that stuff. So we always say to them, like, Eliza, like, oh, you must be so proud of yourself. She's like, I am so proud of myself. Because, and it's the language bit's a massive thing for me. The language what we wrap around it, what we say to them. It's like some of the boys will say, um, when they were playing, um, they go to a birthday party and be like, are you still playing so-and-so, still playing so-and-so? And if they said, yeah, we could drive conversation. If they said, oh, no, I've been released, I've stopped playing, they'll say, all right. The questions then didn't, didn't come. So I think for me, the language element and how we wrap it around it and understanding of that from a society point of view, um, is massive for me, definitely, and how that affects their perceptions of who they are and when that's taken away or how they feel about it. But 
the big thing for me is, is, is coming back to that again, understanding themselves um, and understanding what's going on in the body and the brain and having and a clear understanding to then work with it. Yeah. I mean, you're totally right. That, that The language is, yeah, that's really, and I've no, I've got three nieces who <laughs> sound quite similar <laughs> growing up and into everything. But I've noticed that I have tried, like, you know, maybe some of the language that I use with them has maybe shifted as I've learnt more and kind of, you know, understood more about how important it is. It, simple stuff, like if we praise in others achievement, outcome, medals, then that becomes their value. So actually, if we, you know, if we get them, you know, support them to recognise what they've done amazingly well, or even, you know, what you, and then maybe that comes back to the, understand the individual so what is it that what is success finding a way of whether it's a five-year-old or a 45 year old saying what's success in that moment and then being able to celebrate that with them as opposed to placing our societal or whatever it is value of well if you come first you're clearly the best yeah. um yeah oh, yeah that, that's that's yeah i'm <laughs> taking that that's got my brain thinking all sorts of ways <laughs> I think there's something in there about asking better questions, isn't there? The, the easy one is in that conversation, oh, you know, well, well done. How, how did it feel to win? Or, or what, you know, what did you do to win or whatever? Rather than what, what, what challenge did you overcome to be successful? Do you, do you, the, just, just that slight subtle change. So they, they recognise maybe a little bit more of the path they've taken. Or, or who do you think helped you the most outside of you on that journey? I, th I think just being maybe quite intentional with the questions and maybe shifting to being a little bit deeper, a little bit more than that. And, and it, context is so important, isn't it? And nuance and all that sort of stuff. And it's, it's no criticism of anybody that has a, that brief interaction, but I wonder whether we can, when we get that opportunity, we can find time just to delve a little bit deeper with, with better questions to really challenge people to think about those other elements rather than where they are in in that moment there's there's that whole kind of other other piece to to explore but um yeah i'm i'm conscious we could probably keep going on this for ages so um i think we'll kind of part that one there for a minute and sally we're going to jump across to you um and uh yeah please fire away what are you going to talk to us about uh, so i read a book um a few a few weeks ago now um and the title is words can change our brain um it was produced in 2012 and it come from a recommendation from uh, one of a uh, uh, one of my mentors really um and it's massively around language um surround to give you some strategies and some steps to building of trust and resolve conflict and increase intimacy but it was more the it's backed up by the neuroscience which We've had conversations with staffing around language. It's an area that fascinates me. Um, I've had an amazing conversation this morning with somebody around conversation analysis, and that blew my mind. Um, and so this book kind of started to delve down into some um, of the bits that we're doing, but being able to back it up. So it gave me some of the, the research as well to back up more of the, the things that we're applying to basically come back to this season and go, right, what do I really want to delve down into next year? What have I now got a more focus on? Um, 
because my job is throughout the academy. So sometimes it got to the end and it's like, right, reset. What What's really your key points that you want to go down? And to be fair, they had a lot, a lot of it in the book was confirmation of what I knew. Um, they gave some really good insights into, so we use a lot of journaling um, and they talked around seeing five positive words can really have a massive influence on well-being and brain functioning. Um, writing down, which we do a lot of boys with writing down for learning, transferring from short-term to long-term memory, and how learning obviously helps through, well, learning gets processed through sleep. Um, so they did a big thing on, on, on uh, journals, they did a little big thing on being present, which is one of our culture pieces about being present in the moment, because we go after neurological development, not surface level. So being present helps to connect and to obviously develop neurological stuff. They got talked about, they did quite a little bit about values, which went a good. Um, they spoke a lot around, which obviously links back to a lot of the work we're doing around threat detection, tone of voice, use of facial expressions, how then that interferes with your threat detection system when you're in a conversation, how then you notice that. Some strategies about before you go into a room that you think it's going to have a difficult conversation, think for a positive memory. So it obviously relaxes your nervous system. So there were loads of little bits and talked about how you need to generate five positives to one negative to have the same chemical reaction. And so it was just, it's an area that fascinates me. Um, I talked a lot about like the power of a word and how it influences stress and neurological um, rumination, everything. Uh, so there were loads of little bits that couple quite a lot confirmed quite a lot of the stuff. And then there were some of the little nuggets around like use of the book, what happens with your brain, things like that. That then I could take back and what I normally do is write them all out on a sheet, all the key messages that link back into coaching and then send them to a certain staff that I've had conversations with that then you then start the process and then you start that conversation and then you build in that little bit of work and so yeah so it's an area that as well that quite a lot of our um staff want to look at next year that's why I had the meeting this morning with a conversation analysis expert which was absolutely fascinating as well so yeah so that's that was the book really I love it um, definitely, I'm definitely putting it on my to-buy list. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I bought about three and then get, ended up giving them out. Like, have a little read of this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated about being present. Um, did, what, what are the kind of the techniques that the book talks about or that, that you guys use with the group? Because uh, going back to Jane's point earlier, you know, we're all back to being busy and and all these things and and I feel like that becomes even more of a challenge now that it's it's easy or maybe more difficult to be sat at home with loads of distractions going on than just looking at a screen rather than being in a room with a person and and, and all those elements can can come with it and even if you are with a person you've got phones and interruptions like what what are top top strategies for being present and remaining in the moment because I, I um feel like I'm not very good at it at times, for sure. Personally, for me, I know what helps me to get back into when I know I'm not being present. So I'm very self-aware of that. And I'll just say to Adele, I was like, I manager, like, I need to work from home tomorrow. Or I need to have a day where I just reset because I know I'm not doing my job right. And the boys come to me for a lot of things. Um, for us, there's little bits like we have, a, we have no set desks at work. We have a big collaboration room. 
So, and when we do our meetings, laptops have got to be shut. You can't mess with your phones unless we're looking at like a planner. So there's certain like little rules that we we have. Staffing get a sway as well. We deal, we speak around like them having the time to then be present. So when they're in the room, and I'll be quite um, uh, I say it in the right way, but I'll drop things in. So I'll say, you know, when someone's talking of the day, you could tell your eye movement that you want really present. Just be aware of if that happens, then the cues that you're giving off is that you're not present. So we're very much quite aware of and hear anything that gets said, they'll go, oh, yeah, I get, I get that. And we take it on board. So I think for me personally, it's I know when I'm not and I catch myself um, and I know what my reset is um, here. We've got little bits going in that's in place that we do. We do a lot of breathing work. We have morning breath work most mornings. Um, we have, they do breath work before they go in education. Um, staff do some breath work. Um, so breathing is quite a big, a big push in here uh, for the boys. And we do a lot like today. We've done um, 20 minutes of yoga and then we did 15 minutes of breath work. And it were all about being present, noticing the heat, noticing your body, noticing the sounds. We tend to go outside and do a little bit with the boys as well. So we, we, it's, it's embedded in the programme on a quite a regular basis. Do you think there's a part of that? So two things come to mind. I wonder how often presence drifts because people are thinking about what's been said. So, so even I can definitely think of examples um, through lots of these podcasts where someone will say something and I'm like, oh, wow. And I'll kind of just sit there. My eyes will wander away from the screen. I'm like, I wonder if I do that. Like, what is that looking like environment? And, and I feel like that would maybe then come across like I wasn't being present, but it's, it's kind of a really beautiful moment because it sparked something that's made me want to take that. But I, I don't want to be like, hold on guys, I'm just going to check out the conversation while I think of this. Cause I now do that in the car. So I, when I travel, I listen to podcasts and I used to just think and like I w I'd stop listening to the podcast and I'd have no idea what they said for 10 minutes because I was just off you know dreaming and now I, I now I'm like pause it now I spend my time thinking now I come back to it but I can't do that in a live conversation so I'm I'm wondering how you deal with like just people that want that time to think but maybe you can't have that time in the meeting I think if you get quite good I think at reading social engagement systems so I can read the bot, the boys' social engagement system to see whether they're actually thinking or whether they've gone into immobilisation when they've gone into like a freeze response or a daydreaming response. So there's like a two different way of responding. Um, and sometimes it might just be language that then I use. So I use like wings analogy, which is like quite a like a, a limbic part of language. So... Oh, I've noticed that when this is happening, you do this and I'm wondering, is that because of this or is that because of that? So that curiosity and also not getting stuck into what we perceive. I, we talk about it all the time, but I, I, I'm I, the most comfortable position when I've got my arms folded. Like when I'm sat like that, like that's my most comfortable position. But people also say, oh, well, body language experts would say that that's that you, you, you're disengaging. That's my, that's my thing. And it's about understanding that individual and that's a massive thing for us like every experience that we have from last time from our last trimester all the way through gets stored in our body in our brain we have to understand why people react to what they react to and why they behave like they do to understand the individual because everybody's different and 
everything gets logged in the nervous system in the brain. So certain trigger points will happen for certain people. And I think that's the big thing for me is being curious. Um, so the present element is more around staffing when they know when they're giving eye contact because it's massive on neurological development and then getting the boys to actually be present because their nervous system in a way we've got to a brake and an accelerator and we train very high intensity that's our identity as a club um so the and their nervous system's on the go all the time on the accelerator and we need to be able to give them the break to be able to come down to be able to feel themselves sensing and then go again so there's probably ways of being present. Um, and I think obviously Jay mentioned it about like when you go out, I made a massive learning curve on my, I went and did a child development, brain development, attachment, neuroscience course. And what another day was, you basically went through what happens in interrupted behavior. So what behaviors is right time behavior? What behaviors show that you've had good brain development then in that stage of development and what's interrupted? And we had to go outside and you had you had cards and it was um, soft, spotty, um, rough. And you had to go around the garden and pick things up. And I just went straight for a game. Like I literally went, picked the first three things up and brought them back. I'm like, yes, I've won. She's like, that's not the aim of the game. And like, you need to really understand like why that is that you're in that mindset and why that is with you. And, and I went through about 18 months of pure therapy. It was brilliant. But it gets you to understand why you are what you are and what's happened in them brain developments for that. Um, so I think for me, for the boys, it's more about being able to just be in the moment because sometimes they get caught up in the outcome. And actually, it's probably the best years of their life that they'll have in this process. So it's kind of like bringing the awareness and the, the perspective, back, perspective back on to it. As, as you're talking, this is... I'm, this is me maybe thinking out loud so it's not it's kind of half formed thoughts maybe but I'm wondering if like you know we there's different types of presence or being you know presence in different ways being present in different ways so you know I'm hearing as you're talking Sally there's, there's something about being present in yourself so that's very much about that self-awareness of kind of being in your body feeling your feelings knowing what's going on being kind of able to understand and you know make sense of those kind of things and you know being so being present in me in that moment there's also something about being present for the con for being present with others. So there's something about in a you know one to one or whatever you're. So actually, yes, I'm present in myself, but also I'm present here now in this situation with this other person, and that has an impact on you know how you show up. And because then it's about really listening and acknowledging. And you know, if we're truly present, we're listening to understand, not listening to reload and respond, and all those kind of things. There also feels like there's something about being present in a context, which is maybe when there's more than so maybe that's being present. You know, I'm thinking maybe on the in the middle of a you know a match, a game, a a meeting or whatever. But you've kind of then so it's all it's kind of almost these different multi layers of presence, and yeah. perhaps it all you know maybe there's something that connects back to being able to be present in your own sense. But relate and something relational about then how that that connects and i think you know i love the fact that you can you know you, you're looking at breathing and yoga and i think breathing is such a miss you know yes clearly we all breathe we need to breathe to stay alive but breathing literally can save your life but it's conscious breathing and you know that brings you back to the moment um 
and it also maybe makes me think about our conversation before about the pressure to perform um listening to some like meditation podcasts and things like that you know they'll always kind of say things like if you notice your mind wandering just return to the breath don't and there's something about being non-judgmental don't beat yourself up because inevitably your mind will wander it's about practice now (laughs) and maybe that that made me think phil when you were talking about you know your mind wanders inevitably our mind does wander so in those moments it's about what can bring you back in a meditation when it's guided there'll be somebody there going and come back to the breath and focus on your maybe that's we have to play that role for ourselves and perhaps sally as you've talked actually sometimes maybe we have to play that role for others if there's something important about it and and in playing that role for somebody else we're helping them come back to that moment or that sense and i think the key is as they say on these meditation things without judgment it's okay your mind will wonder especially if somebody said something interesting you're like oh i can't forget that i need to write it down don't let me forget that (laughs) but then it's okay and how do i come back to the now and you know not be rushing on to the next thing yeah and i think for us being a performance setting we need our boys to be able to come back to being present to um catch if they've gone into so we talk about red zone and green zone here so like when they're in the green zone they're thinking they can scan they can plan they can predict they can give non-verbal verbal cues that's massive for us so the boys have to set, be able to sense in um to be able to catch and understand what where their sensations are because we can use them for performance massively um, and also sense in if they feel numb because that's a massive thing I think in football we go more in immobilization than we do fight flight and um, fight flight is easier to work with mobilization is harder because they've got to come through fight flight to come back into presence so um and that's what will happen a lot with boys as well for suppression of emotions so we've got twofold in football really um, so for our boys, it's around being able to keep present, to notice them where's there and what happens in performance, to then work with it and sense into it and use it and notice that it's 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 normal. Um, and that's what a lot of the boys will do. A lot of boys do do breathing to bring themselves back. Um, and we focus on it like, why do we do it at penalties? Who does it? What's the focus? And we clip it. Um, so the boys do use it to try and, bringing back into the moment in football because otherwise then they're not making decisions and it's decision-making sport. How do you go about transitioning, I guess, the theory or the or the practice outside of training into training? Because I, I feel like anyone that wants to do this will probably come up against that as a little bit of a barrier around just making sure that it then becomes ingrained that training will tend to be you know, tech tack, it tends to have that kind of match focus, et cetera, et cetera. How, how are the coaches engaged in the conversations to then ensure that actually in training, this stuff is being picked up and delivered. It's, it's not just a nice thing we do outside of training that, oh, it should help you in a game, but actually like you're just not getting transition. Cause I, I feel like if anyone listening at an amateur level wanted to try and pick some of this stuff up, that would probably be the biggest stumbling block because we just get caught up in trainings, training. We need to focus on this stuff because we need to win and everything else that goes with it. So how have you guys kind of like overcome that hurdle? If it was a hurdle. I think a lot asked me that, that I think people perceive that that's my biggest challenge of getting the buy-in and I had no issues one bit. And I think if I come back from it, I come from a football background. 
come from a coach education background, so my work is in coach development. Um, and because they've seen, and because we've developed, I've done it with them, and they've seen the impact, they've all bought into it. And socialised, I think sociology is a fascinating subject. And if I got the buy-in from the foremost influential people, then it trickles down. But also I come with quite a bit of social capital. So I've already got myself in the room. Um, so that were kind of a big thing to start with. Um, but I sit in the coaching team. I don't sit in the medical team. So I'm in on them conversations all the time. And also we work it in the daily routine. So say we have some individual work with strikers in the morning, they may come in with me from half past eight till 10 to nine and do breathing and then go into the strikers. But the striker coach or the individual coach or the coaches know their trigger words. They know if they've been doing the breathing, they know what they do. So they know the reset. So the goalkeeping coach today went and intervened with the, one of our goalkeepers and like, well, I remember you reset what it is, what you got to do. So they all are fully aware of what we're doing, what we, why we're doing it. They know, the, they understand the neuroscience it's underpinned throughout. And um, even the education team know the strategies we partner them up in certain bits. So the, the application implementation, actually, um, a lot of people are really interested in it because you've got the neuroscience and then it's how you've been able to apply it. And we have, um, and it's gone across the board. So I presented at the Premier League conference a few weeks ago and everybody wanted to know, well, are you applying it? And it's like the first, and then, oh my God, like you've, you've applied it into a setting and, it's been like, yeah, we haven't. So it's so long story short, I've not really had a challenge. The biggest challenge I've got at the minute is time. Um, because a lot of people want in the work as well. And I'm quite open and we're quite open to a fine effect the game to help the kids coming through. So I'm trying to do as much as I can, but then my focus has got to still be here. Um, so in a way, it's integrated all the way through. Um, and the coaches know it, the coaches have the conversations with it, it's integrated into practices. So we talked the other day about some game management stuff. And then I get on the grass and deliver. So I did some stuff with uh, like the under 11s and it was like, right, we had a, a game last week where we got really frustrated and that's okay, so we're going to practice it today. So we're going to frame it up. We're going to put you into a situation where you're going to get frustrated and I'm here and we have the coaches around it. And what will happen with this? And what do you notice about that? And what do we need to do with it? And what would help you? And we do we do stuff, we do a lot of things around that with the coaches. So the coaches are around it all the time. So anything I deliver as a CPD session for the boys or a workshop for the boys, the coaches have to be in it. So we, we run it together. So when we've done yoga or breathing, the coaches have done it. The leadership team, nice to 23s, are all trained up in the breathing. So then they will lead that sometimes as well. So, and the boys know, about red zone, green zone, they know about how I help you, what's my trigger for getting me out of that. Even the younger ones do. We've got some good regulators already to younger age. So we, we it's embedded through, but um, I'm very fortunate to have had total buy-in. Very fortunate. And I suppose maybe just high, what two things come to mind for me as you're talking, Sally, is that I think Firstly, it has to be contextual. So there has to be a, you know, if you can, if, if somebody can ask the question, well, so what, why are we doing this? And you can't answer that question. 
from a kind of a, a coach or somebody trying to put this, you know, if it's, you're bringing a solution that addresses a problem effectively or something that you're seeing in front of you and it's real and it's a, you know, and on the, particularly maybe from an amateur level, Phil, you mentioned, you know, it's something that's happening, it's occurred, like you've just talked about, Sally, that frustration of a game, right, okay, there's something that's, right, now let's bring something in that might help. And I often think, I, you know, if I think about my own development as a coach developer or whatever, a facilitator, maybe 10 or so years ago, I'd lead with theory. And, you know, because I'd, 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 you know, I'd be like, right, I need people to understand that this isn't just me making this up, you know, this substance here. Yet, perhaps where I lead from now is the situation, the context, and then, you know, allow my thinking to have theory inform it but actually how I bring that to a situation is very much driven by the people the context and I think there's something about consistency as well going maybe the you know going back to my neuroscience raising awareness focusing attention there's something about that deliberate practice and supporting each other and the other thing that I found really helpful is um, I've done some work with some occupational therapists and they introduced me to this term therapeutic use of self which effectively I kind of look at and it's like role modeling plus yeah. There's an understanding from from their perspective that you know, how they act in a situation, how they respond, that's the most powerful tool that they have. So, from a coach, you know, if a coach is out there modelling that behaviour as to how they want or how they believe others should respond, whether it be they're doing their breathing, they're pausing before responding, they're you know focusing on the now. I think sometimes we underestimate as humans the power of our own behavior on influencing others um and yeah and they you know the, the occupational therapists they work for sport for confidence so you know a great organization that works kind of down in essex and that area um and they work occupa- pair occupational therapists with sports coaches and you know really that idea of actually i need if you know if people don't understand how to react when they hit a bad shot or you know I need to throw that bad shot first and respond in an appropriate way. But it's okay to go, oh, God, that was such a terrible shot. But it's not okay to jump up and punch the opposition kind of thing. <laughs> Equally, going back to our conversations about celebrating success, if you score you know, score an amazing goal or you know, a great free kick or whatever it might be, how, what does it look like to celebrate that appropriately? Um, so, yeah, I think, I think there's something really, um, really powerful in that contextual and modeling it yourself i love the piece in there about being quite deliberate and quite intentional with what you've done and just creating those habits i guess that in a way that then just becomes the norm but you know why it's the norm you know sally go back to your piece earlier around when you came in stuff was being done just because that's the way it's always been done well that's quite useful if i guess it's the right stuff do you know what I mean? In five years time, if somebody comes in and you're not there or, or you've progressed or whatever it might be, if this is still happening, then then that would be a great position to come into because you're kind of going, yeah, well, somebody's got this right. And, and now we're still doing all of these really good things. So I guess it's probably that assessment of actually what what is good and how do we create that habitual piece? really interested and I appreciate you. You're both kind of short for time at, at some stage. Um, but how, how do you measure it? Obviously, you, you, if you if they're doing a lot of journaling and that sort of stuff, like I, I'm, pre- I'm presuming you're not going through and reading their journals. So, is it just their self awareness to judge 
how they're using it and when they use it? Or... I've got to answer this question because I've presented at Football Innovation Summit and I know that I get asked it by data people. <laughs> so um, for one, I'm doing my PhD. So at the minute it's all collating it. So we're doing it that way, but it's from my perspective. Um, but I'm quite comfortable in the fact that um, we don't need, I don't need to have loads of data on it. Um, I'm quite comfortable. The biggest success or the biggest way that I do it is when I get a message from the boys or they come in and speak to me around the fact that, um, you know what, Sally, three months ago, I'd have been sent off in that game. It was the first time ever I felt in control of my body, my brain. Or Sally, like, I felt like first time ever I've understood myself more on my emotions and feelings. So that's the way that I, I do it. And the big thing for me is I started off with sometimes with three in the morning breath class and now we've got four slots. Um, we have four slots and they come to me, can I do some breathing? Can I come and see about this? Can I? And I think with the boys, I'd probably go the other way what Jane said. With the boys, I normally give them this a little bit of the science, who's applying it and who's doing it now. So which footballers are doing it and what will help with you. And then we'll add us to like, have a go in. If you don't like it, come back because everybody's individual. So what works for you might not work for you. So I think the big thing for me is we've collated it and I can actually... Um, we've linked like some bits to like the high speed running. We've linked some bits to like their heart rate monitors because then it shows that they're in regulation more. Uh, so we can track some data stuff, um, which I'm happy doing because uh, I know people like data. So we've done some data stuff and I can analyze it so we can clip how many times in a game they're in the freeze response and then a couple of months later clip it again. Uh, so we've got the evidence for each PR date, but the biggest evidence or the way that I would look at it is if the boys feel that it's working for them and they'll approach me and say, it's working, I feel this, I feel that, and that's enough of the justification for me. And Sally, I'm going to support that totally. I'm a qualitative researcher. I don't, numbers scare me. Um, so it's stories, and, and I think often we undervalue, and I don't know whether that's as a, a sector, a society, we undervalue the power of those stories and you know case studies and those kind of things and the good you know and it's not about saying just because it's worked there that's across the board but without that those those small bits of evidence that give us insight that this is working this is you know and actually if what we're about as coaches is you know working with players on an individual basis and you know what what just you know it's about understanding the human in front of you and adapting everything to you know there's actually how better to evaluate whether something's working or not than going back to that human that individual and them saying that's worked for me because that's they're owning it that's their experience and i think you know it's understanding that this yeah that's incredibly important um so yeah that sounds brilliant i love that I have to say, it was definitely the answer I was hoping for because I think it just <laughs> back brilliantly to that kind of almost that exploration piece we talked about. So do we need loads and loads of smart goals? Do we need to bore people to death with, you know, achievement-based whatever it is? Or can we just let people loose with a sense of exploration to go, here's a strategy, here's some information, this is why it could be useful, have a go see what happens like I, I can't think of anything probably more enjoyable than that without yeah. it kind of being forced on you or be you've got to be you know told you're doing it or whatever it might be it's just this might work for you 
try it if it doesn't we'll find you know we'll work towards something else and yeah i, I think that's a, a wonderful way to to measure it so yeah excellent really brilliant stuff phil i just add to that you know it's a case for me play and exploration are massively important and i think within a frame i think particularly thinking about children and young people if you kind of just 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 go off see what happens you might end up with chaos <laughs> however the idea of kind of framing an activity and give it and, and us all having permission to go and play and explore and learn from what doesn't go well as well as and i think that's something that for me as you know when was the last time us as that you know when was the last time you went out and really played when was the last time you went out and just had a go at something and noticed what was happening and and i think if we can kind of capture some of that playfulness creativity and um you know a kind of a sense of direction and a sense of purpose that comes from knowing who we are and knowing what matters um then that gives us yeah i kind of feel like that gives us ownership and value however we're all individuals so it depends we put the magic word in for some maybe they can't operate without a goal and i think what the sense i get from sally how you're operating and and you know what you're putting in place is just that it's kind of here's some stuff that we believe in as a collective let's work out for you as humans and individuals what works best for you and let's put those structures in place um yeah. rather than a one size one size fits all off we go thanks very much which is massively difficult and yet it probably reaps the most powerful resu results in the end agree wonderful um what a great place to finish. I appreciate you've both got things to do this afternoon. Very busy people. So um, I, I've absolutely loved this. I think, as we said, it wasn't it wasn't planned, but I think it's dovetailed fantastically well. And just an area that we probably haven't talked about on the pod at all, if, if maybe once or twice, you know, a long time ago. So really nice to revisit some of this stuff and just hear um, certainly the work that you guys are doing and, and how well you're doing that. So thank you very much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to round up the roundup. So uh, to those listening, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again to Sally and Jane uh, for coming on and contributing to a brilliant discussion. Links to all the content discussed are available in the blurb on Rugby Coach Weekly. As always, I'd like to thank you for listening. Wish you all the best and go well. Thank you.